411 Live. Where you can learn about issues that affect us every day. State of world, 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your girl, 411 Live. Our children are our future. They are precious. They should be protected. But there is a poison that has and still is impacting their health, especially in parts of Milwaukee. Now, efforts are being made to lessen the impact, but there are also some barriers to fixing the problem. Hello, everyone. I'm Beverly Taylor, and this is the 411 Live, Real People, Real Talk. We are talking about lead poisoning today. And joining me is uh, Michael Mannon. He is the Director of Home Environmental Health with the City of Milwaukee Health Department. Welcome to you. This is a loaded topic, you know, and it seems like in Milwaukee we've been talking about this for a long time. Um, there are strides that are being met. But there's still much to do. I, I guess that's a fair assessment, right? Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, it's an issue that's been around. And uh, just to put it into context, how long we've been dealing with this. So lead paint has been around since the 1920s. That's mm-hmm. when it was first put into buildings. And it wasn't until 1978 that it was taken out. So if you think about the housing stock that we have in 55, 60 years worth of buildings that were built or renovated during that time with lead paint. So the scale of the problem is one issue. Um, and it's not un, it's it's not um, something that's only in Milwaukee. It, it affects every large urban city that's out there. Um, you know, we, our best estimates, 250 plus thousand units wow. that have lead paint. Still. Still, yeah. And, you know, I personally think that that estimate is low. I think it's higher than that because we look at units as buildings, but sometimes buildings can be apartment complexes. That's right. They could be duplexes, triplexes. Well, let me ask you this. 1978 is when it's banned, mm-hmm. lead paint. But say a home was built in 1980. Could the builders have used some of this surplus paint that was kind of sitting around that had lead? Yeah, it's a possibility. It's illegal. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't, you know, how, how do you, how can you tell what a builder uses, right? Yeah. Um, so there is a potential that it could be there. I mean, it, it, it's, lead paint is still out there. Mm-hmm. Um, people still use it to add to any type of coating. And what it does is when you add the lead to the coating, it makes it more durable. You're adding a metal into something, and it, it extends the lifespan of that, that coating. Yeah, that possibility exists. <clears throat> but more importantly, the lifespan of that coating, you know, we're 50, 60 years, most closely more like 80 to 90 years post the time that it was painted, mm-hmm. a lot of it's deteriorating. Yeah. And so the hazard becomes up. Apparent is when it's it's in, in its deteriorated form, when it's becoming dust or chips. So if I've got lead paint on a wall and it's all intact, it's not a hazard. Mm-hmm. But the problems arise when you have delayed maintenance or you're not maintaining those surfaces. Um, and, you, and it's not <clears throat> that lead paint is only in the city of Milwaukee, right? Right. All of our surrounding suburbs have homes that were built pre-1978 as well. And in those homes, there's lead paint as well. 
Um, but what the, dis- the distinction is, it's not deteriorated. And so what we find is we have a lot of landlords in the city of Milwaukee that just don't maintain their property to the extent it should be maintained. And it's not a surprise that that delayed maintenance with that age of construction and those hazards is why we have such a high prevalence of lead poisoning in the city. Right. When we talk about uh, lead poisoning, dealing with the paint, um, deteriorating, okay. It, you know, back in the day, I remember, you know, were they news stories or maybe little pub, public service announcements about kids peeling off the chips and eating it, right? But we're talking, it may not be that visible. It may be dust. It could be dust, yeah. <clears throat> and so, you know, to get uh, to get your idea uh, around how much does it take, mm-hmm. right? All that you need is a packet of sugar that most people are familiar with and spread that throughout your entire house. One packet mm-hmm. of sugar. Mm-hmm. That's as little as it takes to get a child poisoned. And then you think a look at all of the areas that could deteriorate just on regular use, Mm -hmm. not necessarily busting a hole into a wall. You've got windows going up and down. Every Mm -hmm. time you open and close those windows, those friction surfaces deteriorate and they create dust. Yeah. Dust blows in right at the height of a sill that kids would want to take a look at, put their hands on maybe falls onto the floor, people are walking, especially young children that are crawling. Oh, wow. That, that gave it, me a visual. Child yeah, crawling. Yeah. Yeah. Or just doors opening and closing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we only open our windows maybe on hot, warm days, right? Mm-hmm. But a door opening and closing every time you walk past it, every time you step on that threshold, all of that could have lead paint on it, deteriorates, and you just drag it right into the oh, home. So there, there are lots of ways for that dust or deterioration to get into the, the built environment. Right. What's prevalent, <clears throat> lit, uh, prevalent in Milwaukee? It's in, in the paint, in the water, and in the soil, right? Yeah, and it's, it's important to note where it comes from, right? So we know it's on the coating, the, the walls, doors, windows, porches, things like that. How does it get into the soil? Well, that's because the exterior of the home is painted in lead and weathering, just normal weathering could deteriorate it and then you get chips into the soil all, all along where your, your drip line is around where your gutters go straight vertically down. So, or from your gutter itself pushing out some of that lead paint because your gutters might have been painted with yeah. it. So that's how it gets into the soil. So it's predominantly in the soil from paint. We did have a lot of gasoline that was leaded. And so a lot of vehicles that were driving in the 30s, 40s, 50s, um, before they took lead out of gasoline, right. all that exhaust was uh, leaded and it would settle into the soil as well. So not, we don't have to worry about that as much, but I guess my point is, is there's lead in the environment. And our task is to diminish the amount of lead so that the impacts don't affect people within their homes or their community. Okay. That's a great overview. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, So now with Milwaukee, we have a concentrated area, right, Mm -hmm. for this lead. Like you said, it's spread out because a lot of homes were built before 1978. But there's a concentrated um, um, 
housing stock, I guess you would say? Yeah, and I think that's a great question because it really opens the door to discuss all of the issues that kind of intercede in that space. One of them is the fact that you got old housing mm-hmm. that has lead paint on it. But we know old housing with lead paint isn't enough to cause lead poisoning. We can go into other some areas of Milwaukee, like Bayview, where they have the same age of construction, but less poisonings. Mm-hmm. That's because those properties are maintained better. Now we go to certain parts of our city where we know the properties aren't maintained. And why aren't the properties maintained very well? I, you know, I don't think it's a secret that if you have out-of-state landlords, they're less visible, they're less, right. they're not around as much. What's one issue? You have landlords that just don't think it's a big deal and know that they can get away with it. Um, and then you've got landlords, and when I say they know, they know it's a deal, a big deal, but there, there isn't a penalty to make them comply, mm-hmm. and that's a problem. And quite honestly, I think that a lot of our regulations are stacked against the tenant and for the landlord, and that's something that's unique to the state of Wisconsin. We can go to other cities like Maryland, Cleveland, uh, and states, Minnesota, um, and we can see that they've got a more robust form of targeted inspections. They've got more local control and ability to charge more for fees. Uh, But we don't have that in Wisconsin. We have a lot of barriers that have been put in at the state level that really limit local municipalities, health departments from creating a lot of programs that could you know, be more effective and efficient in regulating that housing stock. So these are laws on the books, state laws that say, okay, you can't do this for this landowner, this property owner. You can't require an inspection before that person rents out a property. Yeah. So they don't come out um, and say it just directly as that. Mm -hmm. But what they do is they create it so it's impossible to do that. So for example... Act 176 says that if you're going to um, create some sort of targeted inspection program, it has to apply to everyone in the city. Mm. And if that's the case, or everyone within a neighborhood, well, then if that's the case, that means everyone in that geographic district that you want, you have to apply it to them, even if there is no lead hazards even if they're homeowners. So if we charge a rental inspection program, even if they're renting and it's not an issue, we still have to do it. And that means staffing. Mm. That means paying people to do it. So it would seem, well, that's not the deal breaker. Let's just staff it. But then they come around and say, you can only charge this amount and it's not sustainable. So we can't charge for the fee at the the, the um the, the quantity or dollar amount we need, mm-hmm. and then we're capped on how much we can uh, charge as a penalty. And that works against us from sustaining a model that can can do a targeted inspection. Now, I guess I should mention that, you know, some of these lawmakers who wrote, implemented this law, are landowners. That's, uh, yeah, that's not hidden. That's not hidden. <laughs> no. And so they benefit for you know, these these barriers that are put in place. Mm-hmm. You know, I, me thinking, okay, if it were their grandchild that was living in one of these properties, 
mm-hmm. we wouldn't have this problem. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think that it could be a question of awareness of how significant the problem is at the local level here in in Milwaukee, and it could be you know what are the direct impacts. Whether that discussion happened when Act 176 was being passed, I think uh, at the time there were uh, municipalities, including Milwaukee, that passed some sort of rental inspection program, and it wasn't directly related to lead. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of the unintended consequences of passing the legislation, trying to, to... you know, protect something, but now causing a bigger issue in another realm. Right, right. And I guess, and I'm not sure if I mentioned it before, but, you know, why are we talking about the problem with lead? What's the problem with lead? But with children, it can lead to behavioral problems, um, learning disabilities, other issues that will come up with this child. It has a lingering effect. Mm -hmm. Clearly, it will affect someone for a while. Um, and, and more importantly, I think the question is, you know, there can always be therapies and things that help out, but the, the best therapy is never to get lead poisoned, right? right? It's prevention. Right. What can we do to prevent that poisoning? Um, and so, you know, we do look at our models of what we've done in the past, and it's kind of the way that it's being done is reactive. We um, show up after a child's poisoned, yeah. and instead of being more proactive – Um, showing up and taking care of the hazard before that it becomes worse. So that's kind of something new that we're looking at uh, as a proactive enforcement strategy instead of being reactive. Now, again, a lot of it comes down to funding, right? Statutorily by the state, we have to investigate lead poisoning at a certain, um, you know, blood lead level elevation, and that's 50 micrograms per deciliter. Anything above that, we're mandated by state law to investigate, write orders, uh, compel the owner to pull permits and do abatement. And what's that level again? 15 micrograms 15, per deciliter. Okay. Yeah, that's so on the property side, that's what our lead risk assessors go out um, at. Now, that doesn't mean that at nine, five, seven, a child went in and got a blood lead screening and it's, it's elevated. Uh, but it's not required for us to go after. Um, now, why is that? Because if we did, we don't have the staffing to handle those much larger volumes of um, elevations. So, you know, pre-COVID, we'd probably had 300 poisonings. Post-COVID, it went down, you know, hospital systems closed down, COVID, all of that. Um, But if we made that jump from below 15, just to 10, we're looking at doubling, tripling the amount of cases, not just for the nurses, but also our, our lead risk assessment staff that have to go out, do a physical investigation of the property. And I think it's uh, good to let the public know, like, what does that entail, doing an investigation? That means our lead risk assessors go out and test every building component, every wall, trim, door, ceiling, porch, cabinet, everything inside of a home. Um, and that's because if you don't test everything, you might leave something behind. You miss it, yeah. And that kid could still get poisoned. So we have to be very thorough in it. That takes three to four hours to sample every surface. And then it takes probably another six hours to write a report out for just one, one case. Oh, my gosh. And then after that's done, that's just the investigation, right? Now we've got to write the orders. 
and we start a whole new process of trying to get compliance from that owner. Okay, hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break because I've already gone over so much more to talk about, and I want you to pick up from where you left off. Stay with us. This is the 411 Live. Real people, real talk, talking about lead poisoning. I'm an ex-drug dealer, and I'll be your sub today. Two milligrams of fentanyl can be lethal. A lethal dose is in here. Who gets it, I won't know. It's cheap, it's potent, and it's profitable. The sad reality is fentanyl is being mixed into everything now. More kitchen now. You know, how you feel on the inside yeah. is just as important to me as how you feel on the outside. Oh, Daddy. <laughs> I grown up, grown up, is there in every way? Care and take care of you. Welcome back to the 411 Live. I am talking to Michael Mann, and he is Director of Home Environmental Health for the Milwaukee Health Department. We were talking about the process, uh, going through, um, you know, testing throughout the house, writing six hours to do the report, and then... And so, yeah, a lot of things happen concurrently when we're doing an investigation. So on the property side, our lead risk assessors are investigating the property, identifying where the hazards are, and then noting those hazards and writing out a report for a contractor to do, like a scope of work. Mm -hmm. And then they're also creating a legal order to compel the owner to comply. So that's the next step on the property side. While that's going on, we have case management happening with our nurses. And they're working with the family directly of the child to bring that lead level down from uh, a medical you know, case management perspective. So two things going on. On the property side, now we've got an order, right? So we're trying to compel the owner to get into compliance. Well, one size doesn't fit all, right? And um, so we've got federal money that comes in uh, from HUD, Housing and Urban Development, Community Development Mm -hmm. Block Rent as well. And we can use that money to fund abatement for low-income renters and low-income homeowners. Um, So that's one avenue of getting the property abated if no one has the money. What does it cost? Yeah, what does it cost? $40,000 a unit. That much? That much and only to make it lead-safe, not lead-free. So what that means is lead-free means I went through and I, if I found lead in your walls, I took down all the walls and put up new drywall. I took out all your windows and put new windows oh. in. So we know that if we had to do that, we'd be looking at 100000 per unit. And honestly, the discussion has to become at that point, is it, a, or is it worth the money spending in? Uh, because if you spend all the money, you're only going to get a few amount of homes abated. So what, what's happened over the, I'd say, the last couple decades is the regulations with HUD, we figure a way to do the most amount that we can do with the pot of money that we have. Mm-hmm. So we do lead safe um, interventions and abatement, meaning anything that's a direct impact, friction surface like windows, remove it completely, put in new building components, new vinyl windows. Everything else, wet scrape, use safe methods, um, 
you know, put new paint over it to encapsulate it. And that lasts probably a good 10 to 15 years if properly maintained. Mm -hmm. So it does have to be maintained. So that's the one avenue of funding, right, is the federal government gives us money to handle lead abatement. But that doesn't take care, that might take care of 100 to 150 units a year. If you know the scale of our, our size, it's 300 plus units yes. on the high end, 250 on the low end. So we're only really just kind of tipping the iceberg of all of the units that we should be going into. Now, on, on the side where um, we've got landlords, we can bring them to court, do citations. And what we've implemented this year was, well, let's do reinspection fees. Let's see how many of them might be responsible enough and care that they don't want to lose their property or pay a heavier tax bill. Um, and so we're going to see that new kind of proactive approach to get them kind of involved with us and not so much penalize you in court, but let's try to make compliance the goal, not penalty. So kind of reintroducing a new idea of a property preservation plan. Let's see what we can do you know, together. You put your money in. Right. Health department will put their money in. Let's get it abated with the understanding that we're going to maintain this property so that it doesn't, so we don't have to come back here five years later with another child poisoned. So that's one strategy. The other strategy which that we've implemented uh, last year is with the American Rescue Plan. So the ARPA funds right. that have been out there, that is allowing us to intercede at 14.9 and below. So 14.9 micrograms per deciliter. Statutorily, we're at 15. So we're now going under the, uh, we're getting screening results from 10 to 14.9, and we're going out and doing lead abatement in those units as well. That's better. That's, That's better. Because I think the CDC, their, their level is like 3.5. Mm-hmm. When it's at that level, officials need to come in. Yeah, and I think it's good to understand that there's no safe level. No safe level. There's no lead. safe level of lead. Mm -hmm. um, so 3.5 is great, and if we had unending money, we could go to that. We'd staff all the positions and take care of it, but it just takes so much money to do this abatement, and how can we be a good steward of tax dollars and get the most effectiveness for the community at large that we have? So using ARPA to try to intercede at those lower levels. And as we're using ARPA money, I think it's important to note that we have to be cognizant of the fact of what are we going to do post-ARPA, right? Mm -hmm. So while we're using the ARPA money, there's things that we are trying right now to do, like increase contractor capacity. Let's build up our contractor base because, quite honestly, the best way of, in my opinion, to to get to a more lead safe community right. is to build a private sector economy of uh, contractors that aren't reliant on government money, but reliant on landlord money to abate their properties. That makes sense. Yeah. So we're building up contractor capacity. We're trying to find barriers or remove them that would bring more contractors into the space in Milwaukee. Uh, to handle this work and make it profitable for them. Find out, is it capital that they need? Is it tools that they need? Um, it, it's difficult to become a contractor to work for federal funded projects because they want two years of experience, a lot of state training and certification. So where can we come in to get them the equity and capital so that they can start a home improvement contractor business and then be available for homeowners 
when you know the health department comes out and writes an order on you to go take care of this issue. They have so, somewhere to go. Exactly. Yeah. The other question, and I know there's much more that you guys are probably doing, and, and we can come back to that, but is there something that the, the renter, the tenant, can do to protect themselves, to protect their child? Yeah, and like when I said, like, I really feel in my heart of hearts that the tenant-landlord laws are stacked for the, it, for the landlord, not mm-hmm. for the tenant. I mean, a lot of tenants might be on a a month-to-month where they have no protections. They literally have no contract for renting or a lease agreement. So that means they're at the mercy of the landlord if they don't want you there or not next month. So maybe rental literacy would be a really good thing, a good space to invest time and effort in so that people know what they're getting involved in when they're they're renting out. Uh, But I think all of those issues still result around the bigger issue of providing low-income housing that's safe. Yes. That's, that's the overarching you know, issue. There isn't enough low-income housing that's safe for people. Um, there's lots of low-income housing, but it's you know, very, um, in some cases, substandard. Right. It's not up to the standard. Because if you have, you have $500 for rent, You've got to find a place that fits into that $500. You go into this one place, and it has led. You bounce to another place that you can afford, but it has led to. Yeah, so what can we do, Yeah. right? So things that we're trying to do is be as transparent for the public as possible. We want to identify to anyone quickly and easily on a web page, this property had lead orders. This property was abated. This property has active permits. This property has active enforcement. So we're building that dashboard out. Currently, we have a dashboard built out, but we want to refine it to make it easier for the public to use. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, so you could just search in an address and then find out, oh, yeah, this property's got lead orders or had lead orders in the past. Maybe I ought to ask a little bit more about that with that landlord. Um, Another thing that we want to do is create a lead safe registry meaning that once someone goes through our program and we get it, the property abated, we want to recognize that with a certificate so that the public can say that this is a lead safe project. And we want to find a way to incentivize it so that the landlords will continue to maintain that certification going forward. We find that that could be a good um, tool for real estate to get applicants in as rental tenants. Right, right. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. It's still being developed, but we hope to have both of those up and running before the end of this year. In the meantime, we've talked a lot about water, but there's, I mean, paint, but there's also water. Um, I guess with homeowners or, or renters uh, fearful that there are lead laterals using filters. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and it, it is a legitimate concern. And we know that Milwaukee has lead laterals. Um, and we know that it takes a lot of money to rip out the street. You have to have both sides of the street in agreement, right? Because you don't want to rip out the street, do one side, and then come back and rip out the street again to do the other side. So there's you know, logistics and operational concerns that have to, to be considered and prioritizations. Where do you go first? Do you go to the places where the kids are, like daycare, schools, do those first and then do rentals? Uh, properties. So a lot of those discussions have been had by Waterworks. 
Um, but I think the messaging is where the biggest concern is, where we want to let people know that there is strong data showing that it's not the water, it, it's the lead paint um, that's causing the poisoning. Now, that doesn't say that water can't be contributory, but, but it's certainly not near the levels that anyone thinks, uh, especially not with the treatment that Milwaukee Water Works does with the, the water. And so to get a, a better holistic you know, view of what, what is lead in water. Well, there could be a lead lateral that's on the city side to take care of. Now, once it gets to your property valve on your property to your tenants or to you as the homeowner, that's the property owner's responsibility. And it could be in that piping. It could be in the piping and the fittings, um, uh, in the home itself behind the walls or, it could be on the actual fixture that's on that you see where the water comes out. So you see the complexity of it with where it, it's not, you can't identify it as quickly as you can with lead paint. But I believe that the solutions to eliminate that right. are there. You could let your water run for three minutes and then use the water. You could use a water pitcher that's uh, available for filtering. You could do a water test and find out if you have lead or not. Shouldn't, and so the point is do the test first, right? Mm-hmm. And then if you come back positive, have a discussion with Milwaukee Waterworks to see what's the best option for you on this home. Right. The, the, uh, you said there's already uh, like a database that people could possibly go to now yeah. to see as far as the paint mm-hmm. um, where, you know, there has been citations or, or whatever. Where do they go for that? Two places. So if you like, uh, you choose your preference. You want paper, you want a PDF of it all listed out, you come to the Milwaukee, you can just go into Google, type Milwaukee Health Department, Home mm-hmm. Environmental Health, and you scroll down mid-page, it says uh, HEH dashboard, and you can click on it. And you will get a PDF of all of the addresses, all of the permits, all of the orders. Now, if you want not PDF, but you want something in real time that you can search, it's called the city's land management system, LMS. And you go into that system and you can Google it, Milwaukee LMS, and then uh, you'll get taken to the page. You don't have to create an account. You can just type in an address in and find that every violation on that property, oh, including great. ours and permits. Michael Mann, our time is up. It went fast, didn't it? It did. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> Thank you for all of this information because I think this is very, very helpful. Uh, Like I said, our children are precious and they're all of our children. You know, they're our future. So we want them to be healthy and safe. So thank you for what you do and keep it up. Thank you. you. We need you to, you know, stay We're changing it up and hopefully we'll get those levels down a little bit further. Absolutely. So we've been talking to Michael Mannon and he is the Director of Home Environmental Health for the City of Milwaukee Health Department. Thank you again. And thank you for joining us for another edition of the 411 Live. We are a nonprofit organization, so if you feel so inclined, go to our website, the411live.org. Until next time, I'm Beverly Taylor. This is the 411 Live, real people, real talk. If you would like to check out past episodes, there are many ways. Go to your favorite podcast platform, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, like and watch us on Facebook, watch and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you have suggestions for future episodes, go to our website, the411live.org.